Good morning. Good to see everybody. It's a little bit different. I was in here last night practicing, <laughs> and it was empty, but now there are people. So uh, I'm very thankful for this opportunity to preach to you this morning. Um, I just want to say, because I don't get the opportunity to speak to everybody at once, I love singing with all of you. Um, it is such a blessing, and it's a highlight um, to be with you all as we worship our God together. It's, it's such a blessing. Thank you, Josh, for the intentionality with the, with the worship and the song selection, the scripture readings to fit with this theme that we're going to talk about this morning with our identity in Christ. But before we do so, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to show himself to us in this time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the truth that is hidden therein. Thank you that, God, you speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the truth of Scripture. Thank you for God just redeeming us, giving, this, giving us this life in you that we don't deserve. Lord, thank you for Jesus and what he did for us in the act on the cross. Help us as we look at that this morning, God, to see you better, to know you more deeply. Show us ourselves, God, in our sin. Convict us of the things that we need to change in our lives. I pray that you would build us up in who Jesus is. And we thank you so much for that. In Christ's name, amen. As you can see, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, looking specifically at verses 6 through 15. Um, choosing this passage, we'll be honest, was partially selfish in nature because uh, it is by far my favorite passage in Scripture. It's been incredibly impactful in my life and in some of the lives of people that I hold dear as God has helped us to understand this identity that he gives us and helps us to overcome some of the things that we struggle with in, in this broken life. And so I, I hold this passage very dear in my heart, but it's also partially selfish because as you probably know or if you've seen on our banner, this Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is our theme verse for theme verses for our Rooted Youth program here. Um, our goal with the teens is to help them understand that rooting yourself in Christ makes living the Christian life easier. And, it, and it's foundational to our faith. And so uh, we had the opportunity with the teens to study through Colossians last spring. And so we spent a good amount of time going through this passage. Uh, and so partially why I chose that for this message today is it's recent experience, but also it's just so foundational to who we are as believers. And so with that, let's look at our passage, Colossians 2, 6 through 15. I'll read it, follow along. Starting in verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Just a little bit of context for you as we start to look at this passage. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae in about AD 62. He's in prison at the time. And what looking at that fact of him writing in AD 62 tells us is that the New Testament church is still very young. The church at Colossae was still just forming. And so, and so they are, they're just now learning as Paul is writing these letters to the churches how we should walk in Christ and, and learning about their faith and what Jesus did for us and how to operate as a church. And so he writes this letter to them because the Colossian church was dealing with a couple of different pressures and influences on the church. They were dealing with philosophers outside of the church that were trying to influence them that, yes, okay, you can believe Jesus is God and, and he you know, died and rose again. Whatever you want to believe is fine, but we believe in many gods, so, so that's okay. Just add him to one of the many. And they were also dealing with pressures from inside of the church that were telling them that, yeah, Jesus died and rose again, and we put our faith in that, but we need to bring in some aspects of the Old Testament law to our faith. And in order to be good with God, we still have to follow law requirements. And so Paul saw these and heard of these these threats coming to their faith and he and he was so impassioned to help them that he writes this letter to build up their faith and help them to establish who they are now as believers and so he starts in chapter one by by commending them for their faith because they do believe and they they do believe that Jesus is the son of God risen and ascended back into heaven so he commends them for that and he commends them for understanding the grace of God in truth and just a little bit of understanding for that, in Ephesians, he also wrote to the church at Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And so he's commending them for understanding that their, their salvation is a gift, it's grace, they don't earn it. And so he takes time to commend them for this, but then as we're going to see in our passage, he starts to address some of the the warnings and the concerns that they need to face. And so then looking at that, then in in verse number six, as we we start here, he, he starts by telling them, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, and he gives them this calling. And as we look at six and seven, it's kind of a step by step building up pattern for them and it's and it's a calling that's preserved for us we should receive Christ Jesus the Lord we should walk in him we should be rooted and built up in him established in the faith and abound in thanksgiving and and the verses we're going to look at following six and seven are kind of a, a a playing out of that as our faith grows and as our faith develops but the first thing that we have to note in looking at this in verse number six is that he's talking to believers He's talking to people who have received Christ Jesus, their Lord. And folks, before we dive deep into this passage, I just want to tell you that if you haven't first received Christ Jesus, the Lord, 
That's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Because in Romans, he says in chapter 3, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's another picture of that in Isaiah 64 that talks about even our own righteousnesses are like filthy rags in comparison to God's holiness. None of us can live up to the holiness of God, to God's standard. But then still in Romans, it's, it says that the wages of that sin, anything that we do that doesn't live up to God's standard of holiness, the penalty for that is death. But thank God he doesn't leave it there. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do, how do we get that through Jesus Christ our Lord? Well, God commends his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he gives us in Romans 10 that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. I call to you that if you have not considered this before, do so. Ponder it. Do it. Jesus gave his life so that we could now be in, re, in union with God. And the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven celebrate when someone receives Christ as their savior. God will welcome you with joy into his family. And so as we look at these verses today, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, this is for you. It applies to you. If you have not received Christ Jesus as your Lord, it's available to you. God offers it to all of us freely. And so consider that as we speak today, as we look at this passage. And so he gives them this this outline in verses 6 through 7 about how we should walk as believers. And And the first point that I want to focus on is walking in him. As it says there And the first thing to know about walking in him is that he says, it is as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. The verse that we saw in Ephesians says that we received Christ Jesus the Lord through faith. And so walking in him requires faith. I can't see Jesus face to face right now. But I know that he lives. I know that he gave his life for me. I have faith that he is in heaven now interceding for me before the Father. That's faith. And faith is required to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord, and so it is also required to walk in him as well. And so he gives us that call that we should walk in him through faith. But then it's interesting to note that then as he goes into verse 8 of walking in him, the first thing that he does is he gives us a warning. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's telling them to be careful of anyone or anything that would steal your identity as a believer. We should be watchful and be careful because our human tradition, uh, the elemental spirits or the basic principles of the world, our natural inclination is to not think in accordance with the way God thinks. But when God, as we're going to see in these passages, when God redeems us, 
and he, and he gives us this new life, we're called to think differently. And, and the key here in these, this verse is that he's not just attacking philosophers in general. We need philosophers. We need deep thinkers. I am not a deep thinker. <laughs> and I think if the world operated off my level of intelligence, we'd be in probably a pretty dark place. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, he's not just attack, attacking philosophers. He's attacking those that would try to convince us of anything that is not in accordance with Christ. That's the key to this verse. And so the, the challenge to us and the call to us is to use that as a filter for ourselves. When we make decisions, when we, when we listen to information, when we, when we are intaking things and we're pondering whatever it may be, whether a decision we need to make for our own selves and for our lives, or whether, whether it's a social, social argument of the day, we need to filter it through Christ and the truth that we see in Scripture. By using that specific word, empty, he's giving us this picture that anything that is not filtered through Christ is empty. It doesn't offer us life. It doesn't offer us depth or truth. It's empty. And so we can look at this verse and we can, we can say, okay, we're supposed to filter everything through Christ, but why? What, why must we filter everything through Christ? And so then he takes us really then into the next step of this, of this being rooted and built up in him. And the next step in our faith by answering that question without even really being asked, by in the beginning of verse 9 there, he says the word for. When we're, when we're teaching the youth, we look for words like this, whether it's for or because or and or therefore, things like that. Because they typically will take something that is, that is written and then they will add more detail to it or some clarification to it. Sometimes it will give us the reason why that statement was said. And so looking at this, we see, okay, four. He's going to show us why we need to do this. And he, and he reminds them of the truth that he, that he commends them for and that he talks to them about in chapter one. Because in chapter one of Colossians, he takes the time to emphasize the deity of Christ. He is head over all and supreme over all. He even says in chapter one, he says, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven by making peace by the blood of his cross he's emphasizing them that Jesus is supreme he is God he's not just one of the many he is God himself and so and so then he he in chapter 2 there that we're looking at in verse 9 in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily he's reminding them of that and so he goes on to say, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. So then the question then becomes, not, what, not why would I filter everything through Christ? But if I am filled in him, who is the head and rule of, of authority, if he is supreme over all, why would I submit to anything that is under Christ? Why would I not filter anything and everything through him and his approval and what he deems is right or wrong? Why would we not do that? But I want to talk specifically about that word filled because 
that starts to give us an understanding of our identity as believers. The King James Version puts that word there as complete instead of filled. It, it's saying that we are complete in Christ, which is starting to give us this identity and this, this grasping of, okay, this is, this is now talking about who we are as believers. And it says that we are complete in him. In Colossians 3, just a little bit later, he also calls them to set their minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so while we are here, Christ is there. And we set our minds on this, on this truth and we go into this, go into this looking and examining our identity with, with a different perspective. Because we're called to think on spiritual things. And so God wants us to understand his view of us, not just our view of us. But folks, when I look at this and I see that God says that we are filled in him or we are complete in him, I've got to tell you that I don't feel complete. I look back at my sin that I've done in the past. I look at the sin that I still struggle with today. We might look back at the things that we have experienced in our lives, what we have gone through what has happened to us, scars that we have, and we don't feel complete. We still feel broken. But he gives them an example of this to try to help them understand in 1 Corinthians. Paul's talking to the church there, and and he's trying to help them understand how we see things differently than God does. And he uses the example of looking through a glass that's dim and dark. And and it's like like if we're in a car and our windshield's blurry. We can see that there's there's traffic in front of us. We can see that there are taillights in front of us. But we can't clearly see the car. And so this is the example that he's giving us of how God looks at us and sees our identity. We may not fully understand it. But whether I fully understand it or not doesn't change the truth. In verse 11 and 12, he's he's still talking about our identity. And he says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so, folks, this is the truth that we have to root ourselves into. That whether I understand it or not, whether I look at myself as complete or not, I am going to root myself in this truth that I've been buried with Christ and raised to new life. And so the me who was in bondage to sin is no longer in bondage anymore. God looks at me this way. He sees me as being buried and risen to new life with Christ. Think about this phrase. The same, we, we are raised with Christ through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. If, if we look at this and we question, how is this possible? My mind cannot wrap around this fact 
because we all have experienced our lives. And so what we go through in our lives, the sinful choices we, we make, we feel it. And we know it to be true about us. And so when we look at that, if we say, I don't feel this, how is this possible? It happens through the same powerful working that rose Jesus from the dead. How wild is that? Nobody else has ever died and risen again, witnessed by people, three days later. And this is telling us that that same wild power that did that for Jesus does the same thing for us when we receive him and we become believers. We're made new. We're made alive. Folks, we don't have to walk with a limp. I heard an example this week, and it was so fitting and so timely, and I'm got, glad God brought it, to, brought it to mind. When we do things like look at ourselves and say, God has made me new, but because of what I experienced, I'm always going to be defined by my sin. We are adding a limp to our walk with Christ. And we're, we're trying to walk with him, but it's like we're dragging a leg behind us. And God's trying to help us understand here that that's not how he sees us. We may still sin. We do still sin because we are still in this broken world. And we do still have this body of flesh. But this actually gives us the ability, it makes us capable of not only filtering things through Christ, but actually stepping away from bondage to sin. The Bible tells us that sin no longer has dominion over us. We are no longer under its power and control. We are made free from it. And so to look back and say, I've struggled with this my whole life. And, and if I were to look at myself and say, I'm Stephen Hoxie. I'm redeemed by God and made new, but this is my weak point, and at some point I'm going to fall again. It's adding a limp to my faith because God actually is telling us that we don't have to look at ourselves that way, and we don't have to fall again to that sin. He gives victory. The key of this is understanding that Sin no longer has dominion. It has no more power over us. And so he takes us to the next step as we root ourselves into that. I just have to give this, this example of, of being rooted because it's, it's my favorite psalm, and it's Psalm 1. And it gives us the picture of a tree that's planted by rivers of water. And its, and its leaves don't wither, and it, it brings forth its fruit, and it's healthy. And, and we, we looked at some of the psalms with the teenagers uh, about a year ago. And when we were studying through them, we were noticing some of the beautiful language that's in the psalms, the beautiful pictures that it gives us to help us understand the truth that it's trying to get across. And, and in this first psalm, it's giving us this picture that when our roots are planted next to the river, we will be healthy. And so... Plant your roots in this truth. Plant your roots deep in the truth that our identity is wrapped up in what Christ did for us, not what we've experienced in life. 
It changes us. And as we plant ourselves into that truth that it is all Jesus, we focus ourselves on the new identity that he gives us and let's establish our faith in this. Verse number 13, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And you who were dead, it's a a very descript word, we understand death. Our trespasses, anything that goes against God's law is death. And we were dead in it, though. Look at that past tense word, were. It tells us something changed. And it goes on to tell us that he made us alive together with him. How did he do that? How did he make us alive? By having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Sometimes it's very difficult to forgive ourselves but God himself has forgiven us of all of our trespasses by how by canceling the record of debt that stood against us when we when we reach a point like this with the teenagers at times we I'll call a timeout <laughs> Uh, time out, pause here. It's, it's calling us to sit in this for a minute and think about it because it's, it's so important that, that we don't want to just blow past it. And so he talks about God canceling our record of debt. And in doing so, he's giving the Colossians very descript language that they would understand at this time. Because the record of debt, in, in some ways, was similar to what we experience today. All of us have experienced what it's like to owe somebody something, I'm sure, at some point. And if we, and if we take out a loan or something like that, we have a record of debt. It's a, it's a legal listing of what we owe, essentially. And so, and so, he uses that word, not that phrase, not just for them, but also for us, and we understand this. But he goes on further, he says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, and he set it aside by nailing it to his cross. The reason why that's so applicable to them is because with the Roman government at that time, crucifixion was a normal way of prosecution and execution. Jesus wasn't the only person crucified. And what they would often do is at the foot of the cross, there would be a record of debt nailed to the cross. And it would have listed out the reason why that person was being executed. And so he's using direct and specific language to help them understand the fact that all of our record of debt All of the legal demands against us, Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross with him. 
the next time you hear a voice trying to define you by your sin, remember that it is nailed to the cross with Christ. It is not who we are anymore. He took it from us on himself. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. But by saying that he took away its legal demands, he's also telling us that there's no more condemnation over us. We don't owe a payment and a punishment for it anymore. The legal demands that were required are gone. And in verse 15, he says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Any voice that would try to hold your sin against you, he disarmed them and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Excuse my meager representation or meager example here because it doesn't come close at all, but I'm a big sports fan. Ask Nikki, I've tried almost any kind of sport. I come home with new hobbies all the time. The next time I come home with a horse, I'm going to try polo. So, uh, But anyways, with sports, there's so many of these iconic moments where the victor stands over the person that they have just defeated. And one of my favorite moments from that is from the 2001 NBA Finals, the Lakers versus the Sixers. Allen Iverson on the Sixers, Kobe Bryant on the Lakers. Allen Iverson was just so good, as was Kobe. But so Allen Iverson goes to take a, a shot, and he, and he makes a move on, on the defender, Tyron Lue. And in trying to play defense, the move is so good, Tyron Lue falls on the floor. And Allen Iverson makes this beautiful shot. And this photo has become iconic now where Tyron Lue is sitting on the floor and Allen Iverson is stepping over him in this flexing mode because he just beat him so bad. I think of that. I think of the photo of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. This is the idea, while meager, that while everyone is watching, Jesus put the devil and his armies to open shame. He is defeated forever. And while he is still present and active, and we war with him, and we struggle with him, and we deal with temptations, and then when we do sin, we deal with accusations to take on the thought that this is who you are. You're going to be in bondage just forever. Remind yourself that Jesus has already taken that away and that is not who you are forever because he actually gives us the ability to walk free from that. He takes us back into clear, unified, redemptive relationship with him every time we turn back and confess our sin. If he, if he held our sin against us, then he would not take us back, but he does willingly with joy when we confess. And so be careful of these voices that want to steal away this identity from you of being made new and made alive with Christ. In verse number 13, where it says that we've made alive together, with Christ, that is unifying language. That's how God views us. When he sees Christ made alive and resurrected, he sees us 
as his children made alive and resurrected. When he looks at us made alive and resurrected, he sees Jesus made alive and resurrected. We're unified together with Christ. And so we take this passage and we, we apply it to ourselves and, and we ask myself, okay, am I, am I walking in Christ? Am I rooting myself in the truth that it is all Christ and what he did for me that gives me this new identity? Am I walking with him as I, as I filter information that I intake, as I make decisions for my life? Am I filtering it through Christ who is supreme over all? And am I rooting myself in the truth that despite what I feel about myself, God has made me new and made me alive. And as we root ourselves into that, our faith will become more and more established in who Christ is. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells. We've been buried We've been raised, we've been made alive with him through his triumphant act on the cross. And our only response, as verse number seven ends, is just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What response can we have other than to say thank you? I do not deserve this new life made alive God views me as complete thank you thank you God for giving me this second chance thank you for every time I fall in temptation thank you for every time I sin you forgive when I repent and I turn from it and you don't leave me that way Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you gave to us. And so build yourself up in this and go walk with him. Lord, thank you. What can we say but thank you? Thank you for redemption. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for making us new and unifying us with Christ. Thank you for this new identity. Help us, Lord, to not listen to voices of accusation that would try to hold us back and add a limp to our walk with you. God, if, if there's anyone here who has not first received you as their savior, please call them with your spirit. Thank you for this gift. In Christ's name, amen.